0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a
1: strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Don't look now, but now across the entire continent, it is indeed November. How exciting is that? November, here already. Before you know it, the year will be gone. I am thrilled uh, to be joined in studio by Elliot Resnick, uh, the former chief editor of the Jewish Press. Uh, the author and editor of several books, including most recently Movers and Shakers, Volume 3. He's also the host of a uh, very popular podcast, which has a lot of buzz, called The Elliot Resnick Show Podcast. Uh, very pleased to welcome Elliot Resnick. Elliot, thanks for making the trip in studio. Thank you very much for inviting me here this evening or this morning. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what, what it is. You know, whenever <laughs> I leave, it's uh, it's dark. Whenever I come home, it's dark. So for me, it's always... I, I feel like I'm a real creature of... Of the night, like in Halloween, you know, it's funny. While I have you here, Elliot, and I'm sorry to throw this at you, but I was reading another uh, a Jewish newspaper yesterday. I get an email newsletter from the Forward, and one of the headlines uh, was, Was Dracula an anti Semite or just another vampire? You have any strong
2: feelings about that one since it is the day after Halloween? I do not, unfortunately, but I will say the forward started off as a socialist newspaper, so I wouldn't really trust anything they said. Got say. it. Okay, so
1: uh, if they're labeling Dracula an anti-Semite, uh, maybe don't take that as uh, as gospel or Correct. as Torah in yes. some some shake <laughs> in some <laughs> sectors. Hey, uh, I want to thank you for bringing me a copy of your book, Movers and Shakers. Unfortunately, this is Movers and Shakers Volume Two not volume three. Uh, this is interviews on everything from Judaism and terrorism to politics and science. Uh, tell me, about you, you got some great folks that you profile in here, folks like uh, uh, Charles Crowdhammer and a lot of other uh, prominent folks in a lot of different fields, Saul David and uh, a lot of other folks. Uh, tell me what this book's about, Movers and Shakers.
2: So these are interviews I did while I was the chief editor for the Jewish press. And on with a wide variety of people. Like you mentioned, I have some political people there. Charles Krauthammer, David Horowitz, Ben Shapiro. Um, this interview was right before he became super famous. Um, who else? Katie Hopkins, who you might know from sure. England. Um, she's an interesting person. Uh, David Hazzoni, the chief rabbi of South Africa. Just on, so on, on music, on politics, on Israel, all sorts of different uh, topics. And um, Elliot Abrams, who was in Washington, was involved with the, uh, with the Bush White House, with Israel. I think he said Ariel Sharon was the only person he ever knew who spoke English better than he understood it. <laughs> um, that was an interesting line he said to me. But, um, yeah, so and people have always liked these interviews, thank God. Sure. So I figured, you know what, let me s- collect them in a the book form and put it out and sort of let the reader know what these people have been up to since the publication date of the interview. And that's what I have that, here. That's
1: terrific. You know, I've thought a lot about doing something – like that, because I've had the uh, opportunity to inter- interview a lot of interesting people. and I know Howard Stern did something like that with his recent book, where he basically took the interviews that he did with some interesting people and then wrote sort of a, a note about the the context leading up to that interview and what those folks are are up to afterwards. Hey, um, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Elliot Resnick, if you're just tuning in. Uh, you're doing this podcast now, which even though it's only a couple of months old, a lot of people have talked about it. A lot of people send me some of the uh, podcast
2: interviews that you that you do. What's your podcast all about? What do you focus on? I focus on fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. So no middle-of-the-road types. You know, Some people almost worship centrism. Centrism, I'm not too right, I'm not too left, I'm exactly in the middle. Well, I always say it depends what the topic is. So there's no independent value in being a centrist. I mean, if you're talking about I'm a religious Jew, if you're talking about belief in God, so one extreme is belief in God, the other extreme is paganism. So there's no value in this case to be a centrist. No, in this case, it's better to be an extremist. I mean, what's his name famously said? Barry Goldwater, that um, when it comes to uh, liberty, uh, well... Extremism in defense of liberty is no vice. Vice and and moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Mm. So it all depends on the issue. Uh, So I like the people who are fighters and firebrands, not rhinos, not establishment types, people who believe in truth. And are willing to fight for it. Now, you're
1: unabashedly a conservative, right? Correct, yes. Now, I know some of the people may remember you um, for being kind of controversial regarding some of your commentary regarding the January 6th riot, right? Now, some of what has been said about you is that you um, defended the January 6th riot. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate description?
2: Well— because we don't necessarily live in a free and fair America anymore, I was very careful actually not to at least explicitly defend the riots. What I said was is that the riots was precipitated by either a stolen election or an election that had so many questions associated with it that the left owed us an explanation. Three-quarters of Republicans didn't trust the, the results. I think 20% of independents, even 10% of Democrats. So at the very least, they owed the country an explanation, and they refused. They wouldn't give us the time of day on, on the media in the courtroom, and so people felt they had no voice, and so they exploded. But they exploded because the left committed the first crime. So every time when they talk about January 6th, I think it behooves us to remind the public why January 6th happened. January 6th happened because of a crime of the left. Did that have to do with your leaving the Jewish
1: press? Yes, it did. Uh, but not your choice to leave the Jewish press, or was it? No. No, okay. Well, well, I don't want to. uh, I don't want to. We'll let sleeping dogs lie on that one. uh, But and you know, I just folks may remember you from that. Um, So let me get your take on this New York Times piece. Um, About a month, I guess, about two months ago, September. New York Times does this huge article headline in Hasidic enclaves, failing yeshivas flush with public money, and you could tell the amount of. Time and effort and reporting. I think three different reporters the New York Times had on this story, and they spent more than a year on their own admission on this story. They said they interviewed the Times more than 275 people. They said they translated dozens of Yiddish language documents and analyzed millions of rows of data on what they describe as failing private schools in the Hasidic Jewish community. And I'm curious if you had an opportunity to review
2: this article and if you did, what your take on it was. Right. So first, let me say two things. Number one, I, as a general rule, do not trust anything The New York Times says. The mainstream media, The New York Times, they lie for a living Um, So I happen to have read this article because everyone was discussing it. But as a general rule, I wouldn't trust anything the New York Times says. Um, The second thing I would say is the New York Times also translated this article into Yiddish because they wanted to influence the Hasidic community. So this was not objective reporting. This was reporting done with a very specific agenda in mind. Now, having said that, there has been a long-standing debate in the Jewish community over what kind of education we should give ourselves and our children. Some people say... And this, this debate has been going on for sure. 2,000 years. Some people right. say we should educate ourselves broadly, learn science, because the Maimonides famously in the 12th century said, "If you st- how do you fulfill the biblical commandment to love God? You fulfill it by studying God's world. You see the amazing genius and wisdom behind it, you'll come to love God. That's science. Math, you could argue, is the language of God. That's what Galileo said. He said, mathematics is the language with which God wrote the universe. Study history, see God's hand in history. Study literature, the best that man has ever thought and said. So you study these things to broaden your horizons, horizons, expand your mind, develop your mind. But there's been an- another school of thought within Judaism. And in the last several hundred years in Eastern Europe, that's been the mainstream school of thought, which is that you only educate ourselves and our children religiously and only provide them a general education to the extent that they need it to get along in life. That is the philosophy the Hasidic community follows. So they give their kids a very extensive education in Bible and in Talmud, and these are not easy subjects. These requires tremendous sure. brain power, oh, yeah. tremendous uh, analytic power. These kids, are, their minds are not wasting away on the side of the street. These are not illiterate kids. are very literate in reading Yiddish and Hebrew. But in terms of a secular education, you're right that most Hasidic yeshivas only offer very basic reading and very basic math, addition, subtraction, arithmetic, you know, multiplication, and division. However... In terms of practical life, you don't really need more than that. Now, I'm actually a proponent of the first school, I believe. Of secular that, education. Exactly. But you don't, it, you don't really need much more than that for practical life. You don't need to know advanced algebra. You don't need to know the second law of thermodynamics. You don't need to know Newton's three laws of motion. You don't need to know about the Napoleonic Wars in order to succeed in life. I just wrote a Ph.D. recently on Saul Bloom, who was one of the most powerful members of Congress during World War II. He grew up in San Francisco in the 1870s. He went to school for one day in his life. And very successful congressman and not a genius. So for most things you don't need, you need street smarts, you need willpower, and that's especially true in the internet age. And so that's what the Hasidic community does. Now, again, I don't believe in that. And in addition to the the, the reasons I gave you before, I think many people have talents and skills that won't be developed unless they have a broader education. However, I can try to convince them that they're wrong. I I can try to influence them. Who am I, though, to force their education down – their, thro- their throats. You wouldn't like if I told you that you have to educate your child the way I want you to educate him. Sure. So who are you to, to tell them they have to educate their children according to the way you want them to? Yeah. I'll just, yeah. yeah go ahead. No, I'll just end with, with one thing. I and most religious Jews consider it a crime, almost child abuse, not to raise your kid to believe in God. And yet, you know, you're on WABC radio, you're conservative, I'm assuming you believe in God. But supposing you didn't, supposing you want to raise your kid as an atheist. I would think that's a, a religious crime, a moral crime, a crime against his future happiness. However, imagine you lived in a district where, where we were the majority and we passed a law, you have to raise your kid to believe in God. You would say that's a tyrannical law, that's not America, that's not freedom. And so that's all the Hasidim ask, just like you don't want that you, won't, you wouldn't want to be forced to raise your kid according to their beliefs. Don't force them to raise their kids according to your beliefs. Uh, all that
1: sounds uh, very reasonable. I uh, can't argue with any of that. I, I mean the, the example that you gave I think is such an interesting one of um, – uh, raising a child as an atheist. And the reason you can do that in America is because the First Amendment to the Constitution gives you that right. In In New York, uh, there's also a New York State Constitution. And in New York, the New York State Constitution guarantees every child, irrespective of their, their faith, the right to a sound, basic education up to eighth grade. Now, the proponents of secular education say that that right in the New York State Constitution, it, that guarantees them the right to at least know the basics when it comes to math, science and English. But uh, putting that aside, folks that would support at least knowing the basics of a secular education, they would say that if you deny a whole bunch of children uh, boys mainly, the the opportunity to have this basis of secular education, you're condemning them to a, a lifetime, potentially, of, of poverty. Is that is
2: that fair? Do you agree with that? I don't really agree with that. I mean, again, in the business world, you don't really need to know very much to, to succeed in, in business. You really don't. There are Hasidim who are, who are very wealthy on 47th Street, the Diamond District, because to be a successful diamond merchant, you don't need to know – Advanced algebra or science or history. I mean, again, I'm for these things. I believe Sure, understood. But you don't need it to succeed in life for most people. Again, there are some who will be left behind. It's true, but again, I don't think it's up to us to force our beliefs down their throats. Well,
1: and a lot of—even the critics of um, some of these yeshivas are quick to point out that a lot of yeshivas— do a great job uh, teaching secular education and, and a lot of um, you know a lot of them are models of academic excellence uh, so I want to be uh, very, very clear that uh, we 're not talking about all Hasidic yeshivas, even the critics of what goes on here i mean i can 't speak for the Times, but the critics that we 've spoken to on this program they 're not talking about all um, Hasidic yeshivas. Julie Globus was on this show. She's an attorney. She's one of the critics that I'm uh, talking about. She talked about some of the problems with yeshiva education.
3: Look, It's not every yeshiva. So I don't, I don't want people to think I'm, this is a global every yeshiva and generalizing. But the yeshivas that were looked at, there were 28 of them, I believe, in that story. Um, they, they teach nothing of, as far as secular subjects. They don't teach science. They don't teach math. And they don't teach English. And then forget about the civic studies there were a number of of journalists who, who wrote about this in 2014, 2015. JTA came out with a huge article and they too didn't get their vindication until the New York Times really picked up on this issue. And obviously the New York Times had to, had a sensitive topic to subject to 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 deal with. But, you know, and, and claims of anti-Semitism are just nonsense because the the the, the per- people who did the article were were themselves Jewish. And, yes, there is a, a systemic educational neglect amongst many of these yeshivas, and their children are being neglected of, you know, a fair and appropriate public education of faith, which is what's used in, in New York lexicon.
1: Any Any reaction to Julie Globus's comments there?
2: I mean I'm not Hasidic. I didn't go to a Hasidic Yeshiva, so I don't know necessarily exactly what happens in every single Hasidic Yeshiva. I did speak to a friend of mine who taught in Satmar. Sabmir is one of the most extreme Hasidic groups mm. and he was assigned to teach actually basic reading and basic math. And I think it was twice a week for an hour or an hour and a half. So, I mean, again, I don't know every single school. I do know some schools don't teach it, but it's my impression that most schools have at least some sort of basic reading and basic math. So should those
1: schools, for instance, the schools that don't teach it, should those schools – your view is that they should teach it, but they shouldn't be mandated to teach it. Correct. That's correct. uh, I I mean, I guess uh, – but then I guess the problem is – or the question, I should should say, is doesn't New York State law – require that they should have to know at
2: least something about math and science. Right. So I would say that New York's law should be overturned. But I also will say when you have a state law, that means you have to have a state interest. The question is, what is the state's interest in Hasidic children being educated? So you come up with three or four reasons. One of the main ones people say is, and Thomas Jefferson apparently said it, that and this was decided by the Supreme Court, that you need to have an informed citizenry in order to have a properly functioning democracy. But to that I will say, Hasidim, there's no shortage of political knowledge among Hasidim. They love talk radio, by the way. Uh, no, I know. We have a lot of listeners <laughs> okay, in the Hasidic okay. community. Absolutely. Exactly. They're much more well-informed about politics than a lot of public school kids are. So you know that's, that's not an issue in terms of them being an informed citizenry and, and voting properly and voting based on knowledge. And in terms of being good citizens, that was another and by the way, originally compulsory education laws two or three hundred years ago was mostly religious. They didn't want kids to grow up basically wild savages. Sure. So we have to give them a very basic religious education to make sure they have some religious knowledge and some moral knowledge. Hasidim, Orthodox Jews in general, are pretty good, decent citizens. Their crime rate is almost non-existent in terms of you know, murders yeah, and, and rapes, so violent right. crime. Right. You don't see them stabbing strangers on the subway. Exactly. So in terms of producing proper, good citizens... The education is not a problem either. The only argument you really could have is that somehow there's a state interest in, these, in them having an education so that they're not stuck in, in a cycle of poverty. But even there, I think the argument is kind of weak. I mean, the cycle of poverty, I think, has a lot more to do with the fact that they have 10 children per family and they have to pay for their own education. It's not, it's not paid for by the government I, rather than the lack of education. No doubt some people suffer. No doubt people, some people would have been more wealthy had they had an education. But as a general matter, I don't think that's a huge problem. Problem.
1: Well, so it's interesting that you brought that up because it was not something that uh, that I had thought of before a caller brought it up, meaning the size of the large families being a, a re, uh, being the reason for the poverty in communities like uh, Curious Joel and others, not necessarily because the people, the adults, uh, the breadwinners are uneducated. Um, do you think that the government should subsidize large families?
2: I know in Israel they do something like that. Um, I think it's a very interesting idea. I, I, I'm of two minds on that. I used to be very much a libertarian, and Tucker Carlson has, has convinced me a little bit to be more of a conservative than a libertarian. So generally speaking, I'm, I'm against the government interfering in these kinds of things. Um, but Tucker always points out that the Hungarian government apparently um, subsidizes large families. I think in Hungary, after four children, you don't have to pay income tax for the rest of your life. Um, and I think Israel does something similar, unless correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. It's Please. possible. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. I apologize. But um, certainly you can make an argument from a conservative point of view that large families are good for the vibrancy and the health of a society. So from a conservative point of view, that is something we probably should subsidize. And and, and in any event, we don't live in a libertarian government. We're spending money left and right on all sorts of stuff. So if you're already spending money, maybe spend money on that too. After all, we spend money for people not to have children, for people to to have abortion. So if you're going to spend money, reproductive rights nowadays is the right not to reproduce. So if you're going to spend money for people not to reproduce, maybe spend money for people to reproduce. Uh, 800-848-9222.
1: Elliot Resnick is here if you have a question or you want to make a comment on anything that we have talked about. Uh, we're going to continue uh, with uh, Elliot in just a moment. His book is Movers and Shakers, Volume 3. You can also uh, search the Elliot Resnick Show podcast wherever wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you can also check out his website. It's under construction, uh, but it's 1VS450.com. That's 1VS450.com. We'll continue in in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The
0: Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We up, up north to Alaska. We up north, north to Alaska. North to Alaska. Go
4: north for to to us, Song. Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92.
1: The great Johnny Horton singing North to Alaska. This is our first week airing uh, in Alaska. Uh, very, very pleased to be airing in Anchorage, a uh, terrific talk station in, uh, in Anchorage um, that we're delighted uh, to be a part of. And uh, that film, North to Alaska, uh, with John Wayne, is just a classic. And a big shout-out to all of our friends over at KBWR. Excuse me, KBYR. KBWR is the station from Northern Exposure. But uh, we're really thrilled to be on in uh, in Alaska. My guest... Uh, is Elliot Resnick. Elliot Resnick is an author. He is the former chief editor of the Jewish Press. He uh, has written a book called Movers and Shakers. Actually, three volumes of a book called Movers and uh, and Shakers. We're talking a little bit about uh, the uh, controversy involving the New York Times story on yeshiva education and so forth, and some some related. Issues. Hey, uh, Elliot, what's the best way for people to get your books if people want to check out Movers and Shakers?
2: Amazon would be the best option, I would Amazon. say. Amazon.
1: So they could just search your last name, uh, Resnick, or just put in Movers and Shakers, and it'll come up there. With my name, correct, yes. Okay. 800 Let me also uh, get your take on this one story. Uh, a Hasidic school, not that you're—and uh, you've been very clear that you're not the spokesman for all of Hasidim, and I'm not trying to uh, paint you that way, but— A lot of folks, uh, because we did do this subject a week or two ago, they did send me this article when it came out uh, that a Hasidic school, Central United Talmudic uh, Academy, which operates the largest all boys yeshiva in New York state, acknowledged illegally diverting money. And now they're going to be paying eight million dollars. After admitting to this widespread fraud, some of the critics of Hasidic Yeshiva's education, they say that this kind of conduct is much more widespread than it
2: should be. Any reaction to that story at all? Well, again, with a proviso that I don't trust a word the New York Times says, I, nowadays I operate under the maxim voiced by Mark Twain, which is that it's better to be uninformed than misinformed. But assuming that the basic facts of that story are true, I cannot condone it. The Bible says, stay far away from anything false. So if you're lying and cheating to get money from the government, you have not stayed away from anything false. You have violated not only American law, but you violated Jewish law, hence divine law. So I'm not going to excuse it whatsoever, but I think it's important to me perhaps explain a little bit their point of view and share a little little bit of their perspective. And here's what I would say. America of 2022 is not the America of 1952. America of 1952, three-quarters of American citizens believed that the American government does the right thing all the time or most of the time. Today, the number is 20%. In 1952, also, government was much, much, much smaller. Today, the government spends billions and billions and billions of dollars. And to what end? They spend billions of dollars in education. New York City spends $28,000 per student. The national average is $12,000. And what does New York have for it? Their scores are roughly in the middle of the batch, so not better than anyone else's. 27% of, of New York City Public school students do not read at proficiency level at eighth grade. Among black students, that's 14%. And this is after spending billions of dollars. The welfare state also, billions of dollars. To what end? Not only is it wasted money, it actually does harm. Many conservatives have pointed out that the black out of wedlock rate is over 70% today, was only a little bit over 20% 50, 60 years ago. A 50% increase in 50, 60 years. Why? Many conservatives have pointed out because the welfare state allowed that to happen. Because a woman... Not literally afford to have a baby out of wedlock sixty years ago, how's she going to raise the child mm. today? she just gets the money from the government, and there also was social pressure on the men not to impregnate the women or if you 're going to impregnate them to marry them because otherwise how is she going going to be able to raise the child today there 's no pressure on the man, almost no pressure on the woman because she could afford to have the children without the, the man just rely on the government. Heather MacDonald, in her book, The Burden of Bad Ideas, she opens it up by saying she once asked a lady on food stamps. What would you do if you didn't have food stamps from the government? And the lady said, I would get a husband. So the welfare state has literally ruined the family. So a lot of billions going to waste and billions making things worse, destroying the black family, and destroying other families. So Hasidim see the state of affairs and they say, look, all, this, all these billions of dollars are going to all these useless causes and actually bad causes. Let me take a chunk of the pie. Mm. And I'll, I, I will at least use it for a good cause. Now, again, I'm not excusing it. Right. I think it's right. wrong Understood. religiously, morally, legally. But I think it's important perhaps to see a little bit from their perspective. No, that is,
1: uh, that is helpful. And again, as you said, you're not uh, excusing this at all. It's it's wrong. And you're not saying these people shouldn't be punished. But you're just kind of explaining the context by which they make these decisions to Divert money.
2: Yes, I th- at least part of their worldview. And I was assuming the New York Times actually is accurate. Right. Well, I
1: mean, that was reported elsewhere as well. That we're not relying solely on the New York Times on that one. 800-848-9222. We're going to take some calls on anything we've covered uh, with uh, Elliot in just a minute. Last question I'll ask about the Yeshiva education issue is, you know, uh, uh, there has been reporting about – the quote-unquote failures of Hasidic Yeshiva education over the last eight years or so. And because whenever there's one of these reports, uh, sometimes politicians will say, sometimes, oh, we got to investigate this. We have to find out what's really going on. But a lot of these investigations seem to be slow-rolled or not go anywhere. In the de Blasio administration, his own commissioner of the Department of Investigation, got fired because of uh, what was going on here. And now... Some people say that the reason these investigations always seem to happen so slowly is because of the political clout of the Hasidic community. There was this big article this weekend about how the Hasidic community seems strongly on board with Lee Zeldin. And uh, because the Hasidic community tends to vote as a block, both for Democrats and Republicans, no politician really wants to alienate that community. Now – do you think that's accurate, that because of the political clout of the Hasidic community and because they tend to vote as a block much more so than other ethnic or religious groups, that um, these investigations into the lack of education at yeshivas have been slow rolled?
2: The only thing I would disagree with you on is the idea that they vote as a block. Again, I'm not super familiar. I believe the the Sabner community votes as a block. Many other Hasidim do not vote as a block any more than blacks vote as a block or Hispanics vote as a block. It happens to be the Orthodox Jews in general are much more right wing, much more conservative. On moral issues, you have to be if you believe in biblical values, you know, gay marriage, transgenderism, all this nonsense. So, if you're going to be right wing, you're going to vote Republican, but they don't vote as a block if someone tells them to vote as a block. Got it. But otherwise, yeah, you're right. They have certain political clout, and the politicians know that if they cross them on certain issues, they're going to vote for the other candidate. But that's a reality of politics. That, I mean, that, that uh, certainly is.
1: Uh, throw those headphones on with uh, we'll, we'll a couple of folks uh, eager to chat with you. Elliot Resnick is here. 800 848 9222 begin with uh simon in brooklyn hello simon
5: yeah hi frankie hi beautiful show um you you know i want to say that since the story of the new york times came out about the the whole thing with the yeshivas and everything i mean you know if you go to the public schools there's a lot of issues there this would be written up in the in the sec in the secular world of of all the public schools and and colleges they wouldn't make it such a big deal and over here, this is like they they sold probably New York Times sold out hundreds of thousands of papers and prescribers that the last two weeks
1: so uh, essentially I simon I, if if I get what you're saying you're saying is uh, you're saying forget about um education not going on in the yeshivas it's not even going on in the public schools basically
5: exactly there's a lot of issues in every school, and look what's going on you know if you want to go to public school, you have to go through you, you to check if you have a gun and 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 knives and the shootings and killings and we we everyone has issues, but this issue they blew up. They made it more than it is.
1: I okay, see. So
2: anything you want to you add know. there, uh, Elliot? No, I do agree with him that it's ironic that exactly at the point where liberals are abandoning classical education, they say it's just a product of dead white males. Now is when they're demanding this type of classic education. And so Hasidim and other people are a little bit wary. Like, you know, who are who, these people? They're demanding this education. You are the people now who are p- p- uh, pushing gay rights, pushing transgender bathrooms. You're abandoning, you know, even math or grammar. You know, who says if two plus two is four? Maybe, you know, your truth is, is that it's five. So these people, this is not the 1950s. These are not the old classical liberals. These are the modern liberals. So it's kind of ironic that people pushing a classical education are the very same people now who are abandoning a classical education in their own schools. Thank you for the call, Simon. Eight hundred eight four eight nine
1: two. to to Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles.
5: Yeah. Hi, good morning. I want to say, I mean, I myself graduated uh, with a yeshiva with high school and I went to college myself and so on. I'm an Orthodox Jew. What I want to say, though, is even though I am really, as Elliot Resnick, I believe has said, that he is against not teaching very minimally in these Hasidic yeshivas, I want to explain why, it was just mentioned a minute ago, actually, why... Uh, letting the government decide what to teach, what not to teach, is not only a slippery slope, it's impossible for them to accept it. And I agree with that. Why? They're going to start teaching about oral sex, abortion. Is there a God? Since 1979, I believe I'm correct, or 1977, I'm not sure, God was taken out of all schools, uh, uh, elementary, high school, college. What God? And that's why many people believe less in God than they did uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Also, the I think not only do they teach in, in, in regular public schools um, how the world was created, many possibilities, bing, bang, whatever, but I think—this I, I may be wrong— that teaching that intelligent design, meaning a God, a higher power, is not even allowed to be taught.
1: I could be wrong. Well, on this. yeah, Charles. Just to be clear, and the, you know, the the New York State Constitution and other aspects of New York law, and I'm sure this is similar in other states. Um, you know, Maryland, Alaska, Nevada, New Jersey. Um, it, they're not making detailed curriculum requirements, it's pretty broad in terms of requiring a sound basic education. Now, what is a sound basic education? There's a lot of wiggle room there. A lot of folks believe – I'm of the belief that that includes um, the basic fundamentals of knowing how to read and write and how to do math and basic science. And I think one of the things that I've been concerned about in yeshivas in the Hasidic community, not all but some, is that it, that it's a problem if all of these boys graduate from these yeshivas with without the basic ability to function in a secular world. Now I appreciate the argument that Elliot and others have brought up, but uh, I don't think there's any requirement to teach about abortion and things like that, uh, at least in the law. I get what you're saying, that that is kind of what what happens at a district level, at a school board level, but I don't think it's required in the state constitution. In fact, I know it's not. 800 uh, Let me say hello to uh, John in Brooklyn. Hello, John. You're on with Elliot Resnick. Okay. um,
6: I I will share with you my experience with this devout Orthodox Jew I was privileged to know who's one of our world's great ecologists, who was my mentor in graduate school when I was earning a master's degree in another department at the University of Arizona. And he would stress that we have to understand the basics of his field, which would be in evolutionary biology. Now, in his spare time, he would spend hours reading the Torah, but and, and he was very skillful at that. But he would also say that as the secular side of his personality, that as the preeminent ecologist he was, he would expect people to have a basic understanding of evolution, to understand the principles of ecology. And uh, he would strongly, I think, reject uh, uh, your guests' assertions that we don't need uh, minimal standards required under law uh, in, in in states such as here in New York State. Now, just quickly as a quick aside, uh, your previous caller was advocating for intelligent design. If you want to teach that in philosophy, that's fine. It has no bearing. It should not be taught at all in a science class.
1: All right. Th- thank you,
2: John. Anything you want to add there, Elliot? No, just, I'll just briefly say in terms of evolution, no one has any idea what happened billions and billions and billions of years ago. We have theories. That's it.
1: Let me also get your take really quickly. I know uh, recently you did a commentary on Kanye West. Uh, now, Kanye West is very much in the crosshairs in terms of uh, – being canceled by certain corporations and others, a lot of folks rushing to sever ties with him. Even some uh, musicians and former people, people that he was family members with, have rushed to denounce his comments uh, for being anti-Semitic. Uh, what did you think of the Kanye West uh, comments and regarding going to Death CON three with Jews and? Uh, Two, do you think it's appropriate for these corporations to sort of cancel him, to sever ties with him?
2: Yeah, I'm against cancel culture in general. I think it's mean, it's vindictive, it's cruel – and I don't see the point of it. We didn't have cancel culture until around five years ago. That's when Alex Jones was banned from Twitter, 2018. Just five years ago, a little bit less, that we started canceling people. Before that, if someone made an outrageous comment, there would be a public outcry. People would demand an apology. He usually would apologize eventually. Maybe a company on, a, on its own would decide we don't want to really be associated with this person. But for the mob to demand that an employer drop his employee and ruin him and cause him a billion-dollar loss... Again, I think it's a bit mean, vindictive, and cruel, and I don't understand it. And I thought we as conservatives were always against cancel culture. All of a sudden, we're for it?
1: Now, 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. You know what I've noticed about cancel culture? It's very funny the way that you put that. Because I've noticed everyone's against cancel culture until someone does, says or does something that they don't like. Then they're all for that person being canceled. Uh, original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick.
0: Yes, good morning. Hi. Good morning, and 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 what I'm going to say is, is said in in all respects, but you know I disagree with the gentleman. I don't I don't know what world someone's living in when they say you don't really need much of an education to succeed in business. You do because I know I was held back because of my finances. I didn't get to go to college. It held me back all my life. You can, maybe in the diamond district you can go in and say, oh, I know this, but not much math and all that. But the rest of the world. You go into any of those office buildings, and you say, "I just have a high school education." They're gonna say, "Sorry, you know, go go do some menial job or something." And I've been held back all my life, so that's not true, you know. And and I think it's like all religions; they just want you to know religion to keep you in line with their way of thought. If they teach you higher education, you might have higher thoughts, and that, that's my thought.
1: Well, I'm not sure that's accurate, right? I don't get the sense that um, a, a lot of religious education is designed to keep people from wanting to learn. Some of the most educated people in history were uh, products of religious education, Catholic schools, uh, Jewish schools. And I'm sure I could find a, uh, a Muslim madrasa somewhere along the line where that fits the, the, the fits the bill. Anything you want to add there, uh,
2: Elliot? I would say in the entrepreneur world – you need entrepreneurship you need you need initiative you need creativity and for that, you don't need an education. You need willpower and common sense and street smarts. And if you have connections, the Hasidic community has many connections within in themselves, just walk up and down the block in Williamsburg and Borough Park, see all those people who have very decent jobs. And especially among the smartest people, especially, is where the education is not as important. Because mm. there, the real genius of entrepreneurship is all creativity, and, and especially in this internet, internet age, especially today.
1: All we right. We'll take one or two more, and then we'll, we'll move on. We'll let uh, Elliot get to sleep. Al- Alan
4: is in Rockaway. Hello, Alan. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I have a few thoughts. Uh, number one is the most puzzling mystery in the history of the world is anti Semitism. I mean, not that I'm a historical expert, but I never heard of the Jewish people, you know, committing terror or genocide. And, um,. Uh, this would be really helpful if uh, there was some specificity of uh, what what are they being accused of. All right, but to go on for a minute, uh, education is the most important thing to Jewish parents in the world. They send their children to day school and night school. I know because I used to live in Midwood and close to Borough Park. And another thing is, many of us. I'm Jewish myself. We see God as an abstraction. Maybe he's real, maybe he's not. But these people in their DNA, they believe in God and to the fullest extent. And I'm just afraid being that I don't know what the what the complaint is. Is this part of the uh, you know Roe v. Wade? Let's turn no, that out. No, no,
1: I, I I don't think so, Alan. I think the complaint is, um, and again, I'm trying to uh, present a, a balanced view here. But I think the complaint is there's no education going on in far too many Hasidic yeshivas. No, no secular education, and it's again not all yeshivas, but far too many. As um, you know, as as others have said, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll take one last one here. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes. uh, Good morning, Frank, and your guest.
0: Um, Something happened that upset me, which is why I called. Your guest seems to have an obsession with Black women and children, which he brought up repeatedly. He should look at what's going on in Curious Joel, which I think is called something else now. Look at the unemployment rate up there or how many women and men are on food stamps in that village because they do not work and the government is subsidizing them. How many of them would be working if the government wasn't giving them food stamps and other assistance? You have, a, you have some nerve, Mr. Resnick, because I know where you're coming from. People think there's no such thing as racist Jews, and I know for a fact that there is. You need to stop attacking black women All right, and children cal- and down, look at David.
1: your own
2: community. Calm down, uh, Dave. Let me let uh, Elliot respond. Any response there, uh, Elliot? That, the, that was just a good example for me to use to show the perniciousness of the welfare state. The example he raised I think is a good example also. The – I believe the Hasidic community would be much better off without the welfare state as well for the exact reason he mentioned. It would force them to live more in reality rather than the government. So I'm I, actually, I think I, a lot of
1: folks in Curious Joel would disagree with
2: that. I'm sure they would. but so I, I think it has a demoralizing and – Corrupting influence on everybody when you're living off the dole. No, it's the corrupting influence.
1: Uh, fair enough. Hey, uh, Elliot Resnick, you got to come back. Uh, people should check out Movers and Shakers. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, they can check out your podcast as well. It's been uh, enlightening. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you want to comment on anything else we've covered today, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight. We'll continue straight ahead.
4: The other side of midnight. midnight.